Austin Norman with you inside the 93.7 The Ticket FM studios. Welcome to the uh, in-between hour, as Rico called it earlier today. Uh, We just wrapped up the Bellevue West-Bellevue East matchup from Pinnacle Bank Arena. Bellevue West moves on. They'll face Millard South in the Class A Girls State Basketball Semifinals. We do have the bottom half of the bracket for you tonight here on 93.7 The Ticket. You'll have second-seeded Millard North taking on seventh-seed Lincoln North Star. That game at 6 o'clock. And then following that one, 7.45 tip-off. Lincoln High and Millard West in the 3-6 matchup. That'll set the other half of the semifinals. It's been an awesome day of basketball here on 93-7 The Ticket. Stick with us all week long uh, for your coverage of every game at Pinnacle Bank Arena. We had a couple from Class D1 earlier today. We're bringing you all of the Class A girls then here in just a little bit. We go now to the Honda of Lincoln Hotline. We welcome in Husker Hall of Famer NFL linebacker Jay Foreman. Jay, you are officially back in town, back in the back on the show on the phone again. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. It's been a good day of basketball here uh, with the girls getting underway. But Jay, not a great day for Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle out of Georgia. Uh, earlier today, he uh, gets cited for reckless driving and racing this after you know Todd McShade published those reports about character concern we'd gone back and forth on that a little bit not good timing for Jalen Carter being involved in the incident that left the the player in the staffer at Georgia dead what do you make of the timing of this and Jalen Carter's involvement uh well obviously the timing well first and foremost you know regardless of everything that you know the tragic accident is probably obviously the you know, the, the needs to be at the forefront. And, um, you know, but as far as them, obviously the, the NFL draft or NFL combine, excuse me, going on, uh, the timing couldn't be any worse. And, you know, magically how these things start to drop, you know, when he was, I think he was supposed to, you know, scheduled to speak at like uh, 9.30 Eastern Standard Time, you know, uh, when, you know, the big prospects, they usually are ones to hold the press conference. Um, so the timing couldn't be any, any worse. Um I'm assuming that NFL teams might have known or possibly known that, you know, he was, you know, was around the scene, um, you know, when, when the accident happened because they have a lot of people that can do their due diligence. And then as far as his involvement, um, you know, that's really unclear to me. It seems like they were racing and then, you know, essentially get, uh, he got charged with obviously, you know, you know, excessive speeding a month later, um, I'm not really sure, you know, how that would really affect him. Obviously, it's a lapse in judgment on him, but I don't, you know, think that he obviously ran him off the road or anything like that. So I'm not really sure, you know, what the ultimate outcome would be, you know, in charging him versus if you're just doing it by the letter of the law, you know, so forth and so on. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that do that and don't get charged. But obviously, when you're Jalen Carter, um, you know, you put you're out there and you put yourself out there. So, um, it's just part of the, the deal when you're a number one pick and, and you have some sort of indirect involvement in uh, a tragic tragic accident, which obviously, <laughs> excuse me, led to you know you know two deaths. It's uh, you know not a good deal, and uh, you know there's nothing positive that's going to come out of it. And um, you know I'm sure he'll just have to face it and deal with it. And you know every year there's always something that comes out of the combine or during the draft, and it's, you know there's no different. Um, it's just unfortunate that two lives were lost, uh, 
you know, by a tragic accident. This, uh, you know, it's nothing that was malicious. Obviously, it was just a, you know, a very, very, uh, you know, big lapse in judgment. But either way, it's just, a, you know, it's not a, a positive story. It's a sad story uh, every way around. You mentioned that, uh, you know, a, a lapse in judgment. And, Jay, that's what I, I hope we can we can chalk this up to when it comes to, first of all, the decision to, you know, do the racing. That just seems something that's, you know, a little immature, um, but we see it happen all the time. But then, you know, changing your story when the cops ask you about it. It doesn't seem like Jalen Carter has been in, you know, any other major trouble with the cops outside of this. It feels like, right. you know, it's his first run in and, you know, not a good time for it. Obviously, a really bad time for it. But if this is his first sure. run in, Jay, I can understand where, you know, maybe he got scared or maybe he got some bad oh, advice yeah. from someone. So he maybe listened to someone he shouldn't have or didn't know how to handle the situation, thought he was doing the right, right. thing. And that's how we end up in the situation. Because, again, you hear the story of him, you know, getting the meals for the walk on guy. It seems like he's a right. good kid. So you hope this was just, you know, an inexperienced uh, heat of the moment. He got scared kind of mistake and not something that's, you know, any bigger or worse. Yeah, I mean, it look, it look, man. It, let's just be honest. Any any kid in that type of situation um, doesn't know how to answer type of, you know those type of questions. You know, the best of his ability. Um, you know, obviously, teammates. You know, hurt staff are hurt. Everybody, you know, the situation is close. Um, and sometimes you could be questioning those situations to where you're on the defensive. And you don't know what to say. Um, I'm sure he, you know, he didn't have any legal counsel there. Didn't even think he needed some. So he, you know, in the panic mode, and like you said before, the thing, you know, the walk-on story where he used some of his NIL money and scholarship money, so a walk-on on his team, you know, could be, you know, have the same type of meal plan that he had. And so you know, he's a good person, good intention, because he had no reason to go out of his way to help better somebody else on his team. And that lets you know he's a good teammate. He was a captain. Uh, he was an emotional leader. Um, and obviously he's a, you know, a guy that everybody looked up to within the program. So, you know, I'm going to chalk it up as a, as a lapse in judgment. Obviously it's a, it's a lesson that he, um, is going to have to learn and something that's going to, you know, be in the back of his mind. I'm sure every time that he gets the, you know, behind the wheel, but then, you know, something he's going to learn, he's going to have to learn how to function with as well. Um, and look, this isn't the first time that's been done. You got to think, you know, in another sport, uh, for the the Charlotte Hornets way back in the day, Bobby Fields died that mm-hmm. same way right after a game. Uh, him and uh, uh, Doug Wesley were racing after a game. Bobby Fields, you know, must have hit some bad terrain. He passed away. So, look, you know, young kids filled with testosterone, thinking that they're invincible. Uh, they're not. Nobody's oblivious from making you know uh, lasting judgments. And so, you know, I think he's just you know biggest thing is you know come to the forefront. You know, be accountable that you, you know, weren't, you know, I guess forthright when being questioned on the spot about the police and and then find a way to, uh, you know, obviously deal with it and then, you know, move on and, and, and not make that same mistake again. That's all you can do right now. You can't go back and change it. Or I'm, I'm willing to bet that he would. Uh, so from here on out, he has to just uh, focus on doing better. 402-464-5685, the number two, the starter Heyman text line if you want to chime in on any of these discussions. Uh, Jay and I will take you up till just a little before 6 o'clock. 
uh, when we get you back out to Pinnacle Bank Arena for two more games here tonight on 93.7 The Ticket. A lot to get into here on the show. And Jay, let's go to last night next. Nebraska basketball ends up losing to Michigan State. The Huskers lead by 12 at the half, play one of their better halves of the season, and then give up a school record 54 <laughs> points in the second half. Uh, 36 of those 54 points on 12 of 17 shooting from three from Michigan State. I have never seen a more tale of two halves game than last night. Yeah, it was. I mean, Nebraska played a really good game, you know, coming out in that first half. I think, you know, they caused Michigan State a lot of problems offensively. I think the defensive energy was good, and I I felt like the offensive flow was right where, you know, they needed it to be, and they were pretty efficient. They weren't perfect, but they were, you know, the, the scoring was pretty spread out. And, um, you know, it looked like a complete team, and then you're up by 12, and realistically, if you watch that game start to finish, especially in the first half, you could make an argument that Nebraska quite possibly could have been up from, you know, from anywhere from 15 to 17 points. And then in the second half, I think, the, you know, the, the game was pretty tight. You knew Michigan State is, was going to make a run, and they were going to start hitting some shots, but by no means do you, see, do you forecast them to almost essentially go 100% from three and to play, you know, overall, I'm talking about one through five, uh, that well, you know, against the Nebraska team has been pretty, you know, uh, you know, pretty consistent on the defensive side of the ball. And so they were making shots. You know, Nebraska was making them make shots, and everybody made it in the second half. It wasn't just one guy got on a, on a you know, on a, on a hot streak. It was all of them hit shots, and they hit the shots at the big times. And I think one of the biggest, um, you know, possessions were – I think Nebraska came down. I think C.J. Wiltshire had a uh, turnover, came back immediately on the defensive end, you know, where Nebraska could. If they got a two, they got it within one. Uh, actually, they actually didn't score. Turnover there, and Michigan State comes down, moves the ball around, gets kind of a, you know, like a skanky offensive rebound, kicks it right out three. Now you're down by six. Then Nebraska comes down, misses a good shot, right? Uh, you know, gets it, you know, I think uh, K-State shot a three. Uh, rimmed out. Next thing you know, they come back down and uh, they're up by, you know, hits another, you know, two-pointer. Now you're down by eight. Right there, I think Michigan State got the momentum. Nebraska tried to make a, a run, you know, kind of keep it closer. Michigan State started, started hitting more threes, more free throws in the game. It, w- it was a lot closer than the, than the, than the you know, the score total showed you. So that lets you know how well Michigan State played in the second half. But then also Nebraska wasn't able to hit the big shots like they did in the first half. Um, but they were there and they just didn't hit them. Um, and it's, it is hard when you say, when you're out there playing defense and they're hitting those shots to kind of continue along it where you, you know, as a basketball player, they're starting to hit at a pretty good cliff and, and they're making shots, uh, big time threes and everybody's hitting threes. And, and that's just, you know, the, the, the tale of, uh, two halves and it's the tale of two games essentially that Michigan State's beat Nebraska. You got to go all the way back to the first one. Mm-hmm where the ball movement of, of Michigan State was so perfect and so crisp. It was one of their best offensive outputs. Nebraska made adjustments in the, in the first half of this game to where they can kind of nullify that, right? And then they had good team rebounding where everybody was attacking the boards. Um, and then what Michigan State did, they went in half, and at halftime made some adjustments and got extremely hot from threes and uh, you know changed a little bit on their game plan and played a little bit harder and wanted a little bit more, but they created more shots for themselves, open shots, and then that's what, uh, you know, sealed the deal against Nebraska. Um, and so I wouldn't say – I think Michigan State won this game versus Nebraska lost it. 
you know, that's a moral mm-hmm. victory. But at the end of the day, I think there, there's things that they, Nebraska did at a positive level. It doesn't change my um, support or outlook on the season. I just felt like, it, you know, Michigan State might be just a bad matchup for Nebraska as far as, uh, you know, their kryptonite. And, and maybe it's just that these two games that, the, you know, all these guys start hitting. Walker got going uh, for them. Um, you know, uh, Hauser started getting going. Atkins got going. Uh, even Hoggard at the very end, he hit one. He hit that step back to get in the double digits. And so you saw five or six guys from Michigan State really start to bring it, and that uh, was a little bit um, too much for Nebraska to overcome. 80-67, to 67, the final four players in double figures from Michigan State. You mentioned Hauser had 20, Walker had 19. Jaden Aikens, more role guy, has 17. He knocks down five three-pointers, uh, Hogard with 10 as well. For Nebraska offensively, again, really good first half. 38 points is solid, but then, Jay, bad Nebraska reared its head. As soon as Michigan State made that run, Nebraska went back to what got it in trouble earlier in the year in going too much one-on-one and not relying you know, on yep. the scheme to get guys open. And when you get in those pressure-packed moments where you have a lead and you see it slipping, we see it all the time where guys try to you know, take it on themselves to make a play. How important is it, and how do you make sure as a team that you don't, you know, fall into that trap of going one on one and try too hard to make a play? How do you get each other to, you know, rely on each other and trust the scheme that's worked? Yeah, I mean that's just the part of it. You know, I think you, you know, one of the things that you know the players need to remind themselves, you know, we need to play the same way that got us up by twelve. Even though we're down by say twelve, we got to play the same way, and then you can start getting some good shots. And then the fortune can turn your way. And so I think what happened in Nebraska sometimes, especially on a senior night, you can get caught up in the moment and knowing that you, you know, hit a couple of shots and you need to shoot it versus even though you're down by six points, you know, getting a good shot at the, towards the end of the shot clock might be the remedy that you need uh, as far as a team. Because what that does is, number one, it's allow you, allowing you to play offense. Everybody get touches, kind of, you know, which is lessen the anxiety of we're down by six points or eight points or whatever it is. But then also you're hopefully tiring Michigan State out by making them play defense and, and, and keeping momentum on your side when you have the ball in your hand. So, um, you know, it was a little bit out of character for Nebraska. But, you know, when you get out of, uh, out of character for just say, you know, really often it comes down to like five or six possessions to where Michigan State operated at their optimal level. We operated not at our optimal level. And that's where you saw a big turn and the deficit and, and really lost control of the game. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a learning lesson for everybody here. Now it's the, you know, players included. Um, but it's, it, you know, like I said, I'm not one of these to say, okay, well, Nebraska, you know, was one game above 500. They were, they were projected before the game to play on Thursday. They lost to Michigan State by 13. Uh, you know, let's, let's just forget everything they did to get to this point and that they played horrible yesterday. Really three quarters of the game, I would probably say, uh, Nebraska had control of the game, but then those, you know, five or six, you know, seven, eight possessions, mm-hmm. which is probably equivalent to, you know, four or five minutes of the game, Nebraska lost complete control of the game and lost their identity and lost how they went about it. And so it's something that they have to be cognizant of because on Sunday they go on the road to Iowa city against probably the, really, to be honest with you, the hottest team offensively in the big 10 right now is, is Iowa. You know, it's a different Iowa team offensively than Nebraska faced a few weeks ago at home. Uh, but it's the same cast of characters. They're just playing a little bit better on offense, and so Nebraska's got to lick their wounds, learn from it, uh, be inspired from it, and go on the road and get a victory and then head into the Big Ten tournament on the same type of um, hot, 
grief, mental level that, that they're able to overcome adversity and then go make some more noise in the Big Ten tournament. You mentioned Iowa as hot as they are. They won their first game in February, mm-hmm. lost to Purdue, then won two straight on the road at Minnesota, hosted Ohio State, won both those games by double figures. Went to Northwestern, got their tails handed to them, went to Wisconsin, lost by a dozen, and looked like it was going to be the same thing on Saturday in Iowa City against Michigan State. Uh, miraculous comeback by Iowa. Jay, a little bit reminiscent of what uh, – Tim Miles' last team did to Iowa in uh, Pinnacle Bank Arena with Amir Harris and Thorir Thorbjarnarsson, uh, but Iowa puts up 112 points in an overtime win, and then they follow that up by putting up 90 points uh, on the road, right. nonetheless, at Indiana. And Iowa City is a house of horrors. Jay, I don't want to write this Nebraska team off, but like we said you know, going yeah. into the Michigan State game, it's an uphill battle. Nebraska is not going to be favored. Iowa's not going to roll over. So the onus is going to be on Nebraska to flush the second half of Michigan State and find a way to play well in a place they traditionally haven't. Yeah, I mean, look, look, they can take tremendous confidence, number one, from the first game that they played. They understood that these are the same guys, even though they're playing well right now, these same guys in Nebraska you know, pretty much shut down and had control of the game and beat Iowa at their own game. So, so that, that's where the confidence comes from. And then number two, um, yeah, you want to flush those four or five, six minutes out of it, but then also you want to make sure that you highlight and accentuate, you know, the, the three quarters of the game that where you were essentially controlling Michigan State and had, you know, had the game well in hand. And so it's just one of those games that, look, and here's the, I guess I could give you an example. So, and this is in football. We played the Kansas City Chiefs one year. This is when they had free phones and Trent Green and, and all those guys, and they were really rolling, you know, when they had, you know, Dante Hall on them. And I was at the, you know, Houston Texans, and we played them to a standstill, essentially. But we punted the ball. It was supposed to be a right punt. It was punted right down the middle of the field. Dante Hall, you know, takes it back to the crib. Mm-hmm. We get the ball back. We go three and out and actually fumble it. Uh, no, or actually we turn it over. You know, we threw an interception at, like, our own 45, 30 yard. They score again. And so instead of going in the half, down by three, we go in down by 17. So conversely, right, you know, then we play into a standstill in the second half. So conversely, we go on the road at Kansas City, place that we're notoriously, you know, and it's hard to win. And we looked at, we watched the whole game, and it literally was about a minute and a half, or I think it was two minutes and 37 seconds of us getting out of, our, us getting out of what we did well to, you know, be in control of the game or be in the competitive game. And we focused on what we did. And make sure we didn't do what we did did wrong, and we went up to Kansas City the very next year with the same team, uh, and got a big road victory. So Nebraska can go to Iowa City and win. They just got to make sure that they look at what they did right, which was a lot of right, right, um, especially in that first half and the beginning of the second half. And then they could look at maybe you know what they need to do better coming out of halftime and what they didn't do in real time, which is when Michigan State was running or making their run, and obviously took over the game. One of the things I think that they could really focus on is how they came out after halftime and didn't really get started and impose their will from a defensive standpoint and didn't keep Michigan State off guard or off kilter offensively. They gave up a two, gave up a quick three, burned a timeout, and then you kind of got to got in the back and forth, you know, you know, up by 15, up by 12, up by 11, up by 12, up by 13 whereas Nebraska didn't get to back to the, the defensive type of momentum, defensive efficiency, which led them to being up by 12. And the more you let Michigan State hang around, get some open shots with, you know, 
four or five legitimate three-point shooters hitting open shots. That's how you end up, you know, walking off the court, losing by 13, but knowing or feeling that they weren't 13 points better than you. So that's what Nebraska has to do. They got a little bit of time to do it, um, considering the game's on Sunday, but then uh, they got to change their mindset and get focused, uh, you know, on what they need to do uh, to pull out a victory there up in Iowa City. He's Husker Hall of Famer Jay Foreman. I'm Austin Orman with you for this hour before we send you back out to Girls State Tournament action at Pinnacle Bank Arena. We're going to step aside for about five minutes. When we come back, uh, Jay, I want your thoughts on two discussions that DP and I had yesterday during the show. The first one is who's the third best coach in Nebraska football history? We have a Twitter poll and we'll get your thoughts on that. And also just a general college football coaching Mount Rushmore. We'll step aside for just a moment. When we return, we'll have those discussions. You're listening to Old School here on 93.7 The Ticket.